I'm Lori Hellman, an Indiana warrior mom who has navigated the autism world for 16 years and counting. My hope is to unite autism families by sharing experiences and taking a deep dive into this puzzling disorder. So thanks for joining me on Living the Sky Life, our autism journey. Today, I had the opportunity to speak with two extraordinary autism warrior moms who were instrumental in developing local programs for kids on the spectrum, as well as starting a nonprofit parent support group called FEET 20 years ago. FEET has now blossomed into a very large organization that actively supports and funds autism programs for the entire family in the Louisville and Indiana area. Janet Pope's 27-year-old son, Austin, and Ann Gregory's 19-year-old son, Eric, are both on the spectrum. Janet and Ann discuss with me their respective diagnosis stories, advocacy work on behalf of their sons, and the challenges that sometimes come with dividing your focus when you have neurotypical children to raise along with your special needs child. Please enjoy my long overdue conversation with Janet Pope and Ann Gregory. So my guests today, I met actually back early 2000s um, when Skylar was diagnosed. I was frantically looking around town for anyone that knew anything about autism. And um, I stumbled upon uh, Anne Gregory and Janet Pope. So they are my guests today on Living the Sky Life. Welcome to both of you. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot to cover, but I want to just start with um, the diagnosis story for each of your sons. Um, I always like to just kind of hear how everyone stumbled upon the diagnosis and just their childhoods and some of the things that maybe you noticed were a little bit delayed or um, how the autism diagnosis came to be. So um, Janet, do you want to start? I know Austin's an adult now, um, so <laughs> it's going back a little ways. I remember. <laughs> I'm sure we can't ever forget. <laughs> no. Yeah, sure, I'll start. Um, Austin uh, has a case of regressive autism, a fairly dramatic regression. He developed what I would say was, was um, very typically, he was my second child. And, you know, I read all the books, what to expect and those kind of things. And we were very proud of him. We were sure we had a child prodigy on our hands because he rolled over ahead of time and he walked ahead of time and those kind of things. So he was not developmentally delayed in any way um, until regression. He had, he regressed around 21 months. And at that point he had over a hundred words. And in case you're wondering how I know that it's because after he regressed, I went back and counted and probably more than that, but those are the ones that I can remember. Um, he suddenly one day did not say mama. And I, I, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, gosh, he hasn't said mama for a while. And so that day I tried to get him to say mama over and over with this stabbing pain in my heart. Uh, say mama. And finally he said, ah, mama, mama, mama or something like that. I'm like, oh no, I knew at that moment something terrible had happened. Um, and then I realized that he'd also lost social skills. You know, he was a baby, so some of these weren't real dramatic, but he he stopped waving bye-bye, he stopped playing peek-a-boo and patty-cake and those kinds of things. And he lost all of his words. 
And when I tried to get him to say some of those words, they would come out as as rough approximations, if they would come out at all. Um, and one word that he did retain was helicopter. He loved helicopters. And um, he could say helicopter fairly intelligibly, but after regression, it came out just syllables, ha, 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 ha. Um, so I took him to the doctor and she gave me the standard line that we all hear. You know, he's a boy, boy's language develops more slowly than girls, stop comparing him to his sister. Um, he looks fine, mom, uh, calm down. So I go home thinking, oh, good, I'm neurotic. He's fine, I'm neurotic. I'd rather have it that way than me be fine and him sick. But after a day or so of telling myself this, I look at him and realize something is wrong. So I fought for a diagnosis. I insisted upon it um, and finally got one, which was exactly what I thought it would be of autism. And we continued to have issues that were ignored, if I can be so bold as to say that. He developed eczema, severe eczema, and for that I was given cortisone cream. He developed this incredibly distended, bloated abdomen. And I'm a nurse. I know what a distended abdomen looks like. And to go along with that, he, he developed episodes of constipation and diarrhea, which were not treated, um, just kind of blown off. How He was given a diagnosis of toddler diarrhea as if it were normal. Um, so I floundered around for several years until I figured out what to do. And I guess I'll stop here and let Anne tell her story. Just be before Anne goes, I, I, uh, I mean, it's crazy to hear you say that. I've known you all these years and I did not know that he had the belly issues that he had, the skin issues that he had. I mean, it is exactly mm -hmm. like Skylar. Exactly. Wow. That's A crazy. lot of our kids have the have a typical pattern of, of issues. Uh, and, and, you know, I didn't mention the chronic ear infections and repeated, repeated rounds of antibiotics. I mean, uh, he had an ear infection, was a bilateral ear infection so severe that he was actually bleeding. Um, I remember we were out and about and blood and, and serum was just draining out of his ears. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what is going on? You know, and, and I guess my, my problem is, was then and still is with the total lack of concern. In my mind, as a, as a critical care nurse, something crucial, something critical had happened to my son and I was the only one that seemed to care. Well, my husband, but he only cared because I was so upset. You know? <laughs> I'm sure that's not totally true. <laughs> not totally true. <laughs> so, Anne, your beautiful son, Eric, is 19 now, right? Yes, uh-huh. And was your diagnosis similar? Your, your um, memories of his infant years and childhood the same or totally different? No, not exactly the same at all. Um, Eric is a twin, so and we were living at a, in Atlanta at the time, and I have a I had already had an older son, two years older, so I saw what typical development was. But the biggest thing was people say, "How did you get him diagnosed at 20 months of age?" And I think because he was a twin, you could see the differences. 
um, you know, pretty quickly um, because he had been doing everything David had been doing um, as far as developmentally. And what we saw as probably the first sign, it was actually my husband, he was about 13 months of age. And um, Jeff, my husband said, hey, I don't, I don't think Eric uh, can hear us as well. He's not turning to his name anymore when you call him. Now he always came to me, you know what I mean? I was a stay-at-home mom, I was with him all day. Um, it was actually Jeff who noticed the subtle changes at first. Um, and we were also in the, you know, in the plans of moving to Louisville. So you can imagine with, you know, three kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> good Lord, ages three and one, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So three, one, and one, that's a handful trying to move right to another sure. city. So it was chaos anyways, cause my husband had been traveling to Louisville, you know, on and off. So it was, you know, it was just chaos in my house anyways, just because I was by myself a lot. Um, but what I saw happen probably initially was where Eric and David were always playing with together with the same toys. If someone crawled somewhere to a toy, the other one followed. So it was more the social side of Eric that um, probably, you know, was he was losing those skills or that inch, not even skills, just interest in his twin brother, David, um, where if David crawled over to somewhere, he wasn't following anymore. Um, so they were boys. David wasn't even, didn't, it wasn't like he had a hundred words. You know what I mean? It was just, they both really didn't have a lot of words. It was more like, you know, the, the initial sounds and stuff. Um, but it was more the, calling his name where he wasn't, Jeff actually thought maybe he had a hearing problem. So I said, okay, as soon as we get to Louisville, we'll, you know, get his hearing checked. Um, and we did, we did that. And they're like, no, he hears every, you know, sound or every, uh, I forget what they call it, but like his brain is it's registering everything and he can hear. And so what, anyways, whatever the extended hearing test was, we went to, you know, a specialist, he passed the test. Um, but I'll never forget it. We were, um, I was taking both Eric and David to um, Gymboree. They used to have that play Gymboree down on yep. in, you know, Shelbyville Road. Yep, we did And that. I had taken Matthew as a you know, little kid when we lived in Atlanta. I said, oh, that'll be something fun to do when we get to Louisville with Eric and David while Matthew's in preschool. And I remember saying to the woman that worked there, oh, you know, if you, literally, I said this, if you call Eric's name, sometimes he doesn't turn to it literally said that to her and she looked at me and she said, have you ever heard of first steps? And I'm like, no, I'm not from here. What is that? And to this day, I'm forever grateful for that woman, whoever she is or wherever she is right now. Um, because I took her advice. I called first steps, had, a, uh, you know, someone come into my house. It was a, you know, speech therapist who did like an initial, uh, assessment. And, you know, she said to me, she was, I can't diagnose this, but, you know, he's showing signs of autism or typical, you know, signs. So you need to go for a further evaluation. Um, so literally it was my husband who noticed, you know, because he'd be working all day, come home. Like he saw that little subtle difference. He thought he had a hearing problem. I'm like, nah, if there's someone, you know, if the garbage truck is behind it. We lived in a cul-de-sac. So there's a lot of like, if any kind of truck was out there or someone's mowing their lawn, I mean, he turned to everything, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he always came, he always came to me when I called him, you know, cause I was always in a space anyways, you know, so 
Um, but it was Jeff who actually saw that real subtle changes. Um, but then he just got worse and worse and worse by the time he, so we moved here, they were like probably 14, 15 months. And um, gosh, by the time he was 18 months old, I mean, he just got so, I mean, he was, I mean, he just had talk about diarrhea, it was gross, you know, it was dark circles under his eyes. He was yes. so clocked out. I have a video of him, literally. I think he was 18 months old where, uh, I had a, I have the camcorder right in his face. I have a, I'm blowing a horn, you know, a little kid's horn. I'm shaking a damn rattle, and he is just flipping through a baby board book, not even looking up. And yeah. then you see <laughs> like <you're> crazy David, <laughs> David in the video, you know, hearing all the noise, come, you know, come over to me to be like, what the heck's going on? You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it was just, just like he's probably like, like, what's mom doing? You know, so. So Eric, and I'm like, you know, I could touch his face. That's how close I was. He was so clocked out. It wasn't even funny. So those little subtle changes that Jeff noticed um, right before we were getting, or, you know, in the, the moving stages, I mean, just got progressively worse. But it was the whole more social. Um, he didn't have 100 words. He, neither of them had any close to, to 100 words. Um, probably no real words, actually, um, because it was so early on. Um, so it wasn't, he, you know, he wasn't even close to two. It was like 13 months of age. So it was, he was, he was much younger, but, but so we got him diagnosed super fast. Yeah. Well, like it was like bing, bang, boom. All that lady had to say it. Have you ever heard of first steps? And then I just took that advice and ran with it. So um, he was diagnosed really, really young. So David never showed any signs of delay or any signs at all of, of being on the spectrum too? No, I mean, he was, you know, and he's a twin and they were born early. And so mm -hmm. his language wasn't like Matthew's was, you know what I mean? But, mm -hmm. you know, so we got him some speech help and just to catch up with his language, like words and stuff. But now he's, um, now he's a sophomore Butler doing excellent. You know what I mean? He's not, yeah, he's oh, good. He probably had a delay like in picking up on language probably because the poor kid was so deprived of attention. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I didn't sit there and read books, you know what I mean? Like I did Matthew every night when he was, you know, young. So, because the whole, you know, poor David, oh my gosh, I'd have first steps coming into the house and he would scream and cry for like the 45 minute session that they would come in because it looked like they were playing with Eric. You know what I mean? Looks like fun, right? Yeah. So yeah. So people would say to me, oh, that must be so stressful. You have therapists in your house all day long. And I'm like, no, Eric thinks it's fun. David is screaming and crying in the basement. And I'd be like trying to console him because it looked like people were coming in to play with his brother and not him. So, you know what I mean? That was actually more stressful for me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So, um, so did they ever, did they ever tell you anything about it? The dark circles under his eyes when Skylar had that terribly, they had us have his adenoids removed and that seemed to help a little bit, but he always just had congestion issues and just just tons of stuff he drooled a ton and all of that and so that that was their recommendation is the adenoids to help the discoloration in his under his eyes and i thought it was kind of weird but yeah he, they didn't have that history like janet was saying of like um air infections all the time and whatnot you know i mean they did end up having like i think at age four there they you know he did start prior you know before diagnosis he didn't have this history of health issues as far as like strep and ear infections and antibiotic use like we didn't have that which is i know is more typical of our kids having had that 
pass, but neither of my, even my older son never had that, you know, but, um, but he ended up going that direction. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> the more he, the more his autism was like, whoo, really, you know, prevalent. Wonder, so it was just, I was just gonna, I wonder if it's because it's like the minute we get the diagnosis and we get the word, then all of a sudden, either we start to notice more things or it's like the floodgates open and all these other <laughs> comorbidities and things happen with our kids and their illnesses. Yeah, he definitely just, had the loose stools. Yeah, he definitely had loose stools. There's no, you know, but he didn't have the antibiotic use, but still, he still had enough problems. He had the dro the drooling started. Like you, you just talked about drooling. Mm -hmm. He had the drooling, like he would go to, when he got into carriage house and he started, you know, I would send like, you know, bibs, a stack of bibs yep. in with him. And for that little three hour period, they were always changing his bibs because he was drooling nonstop. So where he didn't have that, you know, problem before his diagnosis, boy, boy, he started doing that. You know what I mean? It was just, everything just got progressively worse. So if so I you, could say something yeah, about ahead, the dark, dark circles, um, there's a lot of evidence now. We didn't know this back in the day, but um, even mainstream has correlated dark circles, eczema, um, and, and bowel disease to autism. So kids that have bowel disease develop a lot of food intolerances. And um, I'm not going to go so far as to say allergies, but uh, food sensitivities um, can cause those dark circles and the eczema and a lot of the other symptoms our, our kids exhibit can all be tied back to the gut and uh, food intolerances. So when my son had the dark circles too, and when I eliminated, I was eliminating food because of the eczema. Finally, I figured it out that uh, his his skin was a reflection of what was going on in his gut. And when I tried to heal his gut and eliminate offending foods, his dark circles cleared up, as did his eczema. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Skylar's um, gastroenterologist who specializes only in um, children on the spectrum or people on the spectrum, um, he said the same thing to me about Skylar's skin. Um, even now, I mean, he has fissures so bad in his feet and hands. I mean, they are deep, 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 and we just cannot figure out a way to heal them. He has no gluten. He has a pretty restricted diet. And I mean, we're just constantly trying topical steroids and all kinds of things. So I hope that that gets better over the years, but I don't know. It just looks painful. Ugh. I'm sure it is. So you, you have to walk on that. Oh yeah. He limps uh, some days because mm. they're so deep. Yeah. It's, it's awful. Um, and you mentioned carriage house. I was going to ask you guys both once they got to school age, were your boys mainstreamed into, um, you know, public school or a private school or a program, or were they at an ABA program? What, what did you guys do for schooling? Um, and do you want to start this one? Okay, sure. Um, well, because he qualified for first steps, because because he was sorry about that, because he was under the age of uh, three, he was able to go to carriage house as a two-year-old. Um, and it was wonderful because they had a spot opening for typically, you know, typical pair, which was David and uh, special needs. So I could actually send Eric and David together, which was the best thing ever. Um, so he went to carriage house, um, 
for a couple years and then he went from kindergarten through eighth grade to Anchorage public we're in the Anchorage school district so he was there um, during that time I helped them create a program called strive which was um, set up um, specifically for kids with autism and down syndrome there and then from there he's been at uh, the bluegrass center for autism now he's in his fifth year there so he left so he hasn't been in public school since he left uh, anchorage so he's over at bca right now well that's neat that you created that program that i assume that's still going strong and um yeah he yeah and they don't have you know they have an in a mini influx of kids on the spectrum so to or down syndrome you know compared to compared to you know larger schools um you know they don't have as many but still yeah the the principal approached me when eric was in the first grade and um asked me to sort of create sort of like a you know what they had over at carriage house not when eric was there but the endeavor program over at carriage house that uh, feet helped create she asked if i could help create something similar to mimic that you know and so um so i um i got a group of middle school and um, elementary level both uh, regular education and special education teachers the principal came and took like a van full of uh, get some like uh, aids that would work with these kids and and we all went down to london kentucky because there was a public school there that had a autism program there and we wanted to go check it out and see what we you know what we liked or we could take back as far as ideas to create and what they called the strive program so yeah it was a it was a beautiful program that yeah it does definitely still does exist today that's awesome janet what was your experience with schooling early on um well we live in oldham county and they have a head start program here i don't think it was called that I, i'm trying to remember the name of it but it was basically a head start where they would take um economically disadvantaged children and children with disabilities into this preschool so I had him in a private preschool for a few months until he turned three, and then I put him in the Oldham County preschool. Um, back then there weren't, you know, autism wasn't as prevalent. I think there were a couple kids in the county that had it, and they really didn't know what to do, but they were eager and willing, and that became my criteria for um, finding placement for him. Did they want him? Did they want to try to work with him? Uh, and if, if they met those two basic criteria, he was theirs. Um, so he he went for, let's see, he went for two years to the Oldham County Preschool and, and they really did try. Um, he was included with regular kids and um, unfortunately he didn't get those, he didn't learn those typical preschool skills just by osmosis. Um, he learned maybe to control his behaviors and sit in circle time and those kind of things, but he wasn't learning the information. Mm -hmm. um, when it came time for kindergarten, I started looking at, at private placement just to check my options. And I, at the time, which was um, mid nineties, 1995, there, was, there were a couple of places, but they wouldn't take him. He was too severe. Um, so I had really no choices. A carriage house hadn't started its preschool yet. Carriage house did some consulting, but in-home consulting only. There, there was no school. So I sent him to uh, an Oldham County school and I, I kind of shopped around. I remember you, you have to have your initial IEP at your home school. So we had this meeting that I cried through. It was like two hours at his home school and I used to cry a lot. And um, 
was so emotional and so difficult. And at the end of this two-hour meeting, a speech therapist, I can't remember who she was, but she was in the meeting the entire time. And she came up to me and she said, my grandson is artistic too. Oh. <laughs> like, Craig, she thinks I did this, that I was crying because he can draw. <laughs> like, wow so I, I, I that just really upset me I'm like she doesn't even know the charm how can I send yeah, him that's how scary. can I send him there so I found another place there was a brand new uh, special ed teacher who who knew a lot about autism and somebody told me about him at, at another um, elementary school in Oldham County and he came to our house and he worked with Austin before he entered kindergarten and I'm like he's got him he's yours <laughs> So he he went to that school, and what happened was um, he went to kindergarten there, and the teacher, you know, became very familiar with him, and his his lack of preschool skills was evident. Um, that summer, in between kindergarten and first grade, I started an in-home ABA program. Um, despite being heavily discouraged by all the professionals in this town at the time, I was told not to do it. Um, I chose to disregard that advice and did it anyway, because we were making no headway with what we were doing. And so I hired a woman and trained some friends to do ABA with him. And at the end of the summer, he had all the preschool skills. He knew colors, numbers, shapes, letters, upper and lower case, and was beginning some sight word recognition and had made tremendous progress in those kind of things. I mean, in even some verbal skills, I remember he started being able, you know, we'd hold up a, a, a card with a star on it, and he could say in this rote kind of way, it is a star. Mm -hmm. And then he got all those things, you know, it is a whatever it was. We ran out of words, so you know I drew a picture of a parallelogram, and he. <laughs> it is a parallelogram, which was ridiculous, but we were That's so excited awesome. that he was learning. You know, he couldn't say I have to go to the bathroom, but he can certainly identify parallelograms. So, um, <laughs> I went to the this kind teacher who had been a special ed teacher in kindergarten, and I said, "Look what we have done." And he goes, how in the heck did you do that? And I told him we did ABA and I want him to have it at school. Well, at the time, ABA was not available in schools and they were very adamant that it would not be available in schools because if we did it for one, we'd have to do it for all. And I said, okay, <laughs> you know, but um, this special ed teacher said, I'll let you do it secretly. And one of his ABA therapists, I guess you would say it was just a woman that we had trained to do it. Um, she actually worked in the school. And for two hours a day, he did ABA at school. And this teacher was blown away by what Austin was able to learn. And he supported me all the way through grade school, doing ABA at school, which had a huge benefit of I didn't have to pay for it. All of his ABA was out of pocket at the time to the tune of, you know, $30,000 when, you know, we were much younger and not making that much money at the time. So it was a huge expense. So they supported me and allowed some of it to be done at school. So I didn't have so many hours that we had to pay for. 
uh, he he did he his whole career was in public schools. As he got older, there were a few more options, but nothing that really worked for him. So he was in special ed with pull outs for a couple classes, you know, music and gym and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And if I could keep going with my story for a minute, when he was 17, we discovered that he actually was not as cognitively impaired, cognitively impaired as we had thought. In fact, he was pretty much cognitively intact. He started typing. And um, he showed us that he knew far more about the world than we could have ever imagined. And so we put him in regular ed classes, um, a couple of a couple of classes a day. And he went till he was 21, so that was like a three years of a couple of classes every semester. And he thrived. He did really well, much to the shock of everyone. And and they the school personnel were so surprised and so thrilled with what Austin was able to do that they supported me 100% and actually gave me everything I asked for. (laughs) So um, it turned out to be a really good experience. That's so great. I am so happy to hear that he blossomed so, you know, with a lot of your efforts and not listening to (laughs) a lot of the quote unquote professionals that we I'm sure have all dealt with that have given us you know, bad information and um, mm-hmm. deterred us from doing well, and things. Then that... There's the the whole thing, excuse me, but there's the whole thing of, you know, if, if if they don't start this or that by the time they're five, and if they haven't done this by the time they're eight, well, then, you know, the door slams shut and you're, you know, this is it. This is all there will ever be. Mm-hmm. I yes. never believed that. And uh, my son is a prime example. At 17, he decided to communicate with us. You know, and tell us what was in there at 17. So I'm I'm glad that we didn't give up, and I'm glad we kept pushing him. So so you're telling me there's hope. Skylar's 16, and that he still has never yeah. uttered a word. So um, maybe next year's our year. <laughs> Every maybe year on his birthday. Next year's your year. Yeah. <laughs> I keep saying that to type. him. I don't you know. Just... You know, you just don't know what I have found. What I found out, Lori, is what is on the outside, what we see, and what we think we know is not always what's on the inside, you know, and, it, it's, and even now, you know, 10 years after Austin started typing, sometimes I really have trouble with the dichotomy between how he looks and how he acts and what he knows. It, it like, I keep making him prove it to me. <laughs> That, that he knows these things. Okay, just one more hard question. Can you answer this hard question? You know, and then I'll believe you. Does he ever type really out, Mom, <laughs> leave me oh, alone? Oh, yes. And he'll say, you know, he has limited speech, and he'll look at me and he'll say, just one more question. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, okay, just one more. Okay, tell me about the civil rights. Tell me everything you know about civil rights. <laughs> You're harder than college courses. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, Anne, um, a few minutes ago, you mentioned um, feet. And um, for, for those that don't live in the Louisville or uh, Kentuckyana area, um, feet is an organization it started out, I guess, and you guys can enlighten me a little bit more about the background, but um, as a parent group, like a support group, um, and it, would, it stands for Families for Effective 
autism treatment. Is that correct? Yes, <laughs> I uh -huh. say feet all the time, yeah. but I don't ever spell it out for anyone. Um, and um, Janet, I think you are one of the founding members of FEET, right? Yeah, that's correct. With um, some other parents. I just kind of curious how that all came to be because I found FEET, I think a couple years after you all started the parent group. Um, and that's where I met each of you um, with some of the fundraisers and some of the things that were involved early on. And it's blossomed into this huge organization now. Uh, um, crazy. But how did... How did feet come to be and um and then Anne, what was your involvement in it um when you moved here so um janet do you want to tell us a little bit about how you started that group sure um and, and my recollection of things might be a little different from some of the others that started it but i'll do my best here um we were a group of mothers less than 10 of us who were doing aba in our homes it was very expensive there were no programs. There, there were a few people around the country who you could hire from New Jersey or California to fly into your state. You paid for their airfare, you paid for their hotel and their food and their rental cars, and then you paid their fee. They would come to your home and they would train people that you had found to do this program. Um, and then you had to pay the people who did the program in your home. And it was very expensive and very difficult to implement. Um, so we were all kind of struggling with this difficult process. Um, and we decided to band together to help each other. Some of us, there, there uh, a, a woman who was originally from Kentucky who'd gone to California for training in ABA came back and she was out of Lexington and several of us hired her to manage our programs because she was more local and obviously and more affordable. Um, so a few more people were doing it and we decided that um, we were stronger together than individually. We could share resources, um, personnel who knew how to do this and supplies. I mean, we were, I was constantly going to the Oldham County Resource Center and making little cards with stars and, yeah. you know, parallelograms and things on them, you know, cutting pictures out of magazines and taping them onto index cards to make the supplies that you needed to do this program. And so we decided that we would share our resources. And that's really how it started. Um, just a handful of us getting together and meeting and supporting each other with this difficult process and and over a few months a year i don't remember exactly we kind of grew um and, and expanded and decided to start having meetings that were open to anyone and we brought in speakers you know local speakers people from the schools and different things to educate us how to, how to, what we needed to know to write an iep and various things like that uh what I'm trying physical education kind of things you could do and uh, there was very limited there were very limited resources but whatever we could find we'd invite these speakers and we started having monthly meetings and at some point along the way one of our members another founding member and, and I would like to say that I was technically a founding member but it certainly was not my idea I went along as kind of a, a tagger on, you know, I wasn't the <laughs> mover and shaker and the instigator. I was just there. Um, one of the more instrumental people in the group, her name is Joanne, she knew how to organize a fundraiser. So we decided to have a fundraiser. 
And our first gala fundraiser, we raised $20,000. Um, we really didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we were trying to think of, uh, you know, some good we could do with this. And at the same time, I, my memory's a little fuzzy, but there was some kind of Medicaid program that some people were getting that was uh, helpful in paying for some of this ABA. Well, the governor just shut that program down. Um, so I don't think we ever got it, but some people lost funding. So we decided that we'd start a school. Um, and we partnered with Carriage House and we used that $20,000 to kind of, as, as kind of seed money. And, and we started a school and that school became the Endeavor program. There were some definite growing pains. Our first year was pretty much a flop, but we didn't give up. We kept going, we kept having more fundraisers and it just kind of blossomed. And I will say, Anne Gregory entered the picture at some point. I don't know when was that, Anne, 2002, 2003? I don't know when it was, but um, she had the business acumen, but the rest of us didn't. And I'm serious, that girl whipped us into shape. We got a real board <laughs> with people besides just us mothers who were in the group, you know, we got, we, we figured out our real board and she, how to, how to develop a real board and how to write grants and how to get some serious money and what to do with the serious money. And suddenly we were no longer just a little parent support group. Yeah. We were, we were a community agency that was doing good works, filling a huge void where there were no services we'd figure out where there were no services and what our families needed. And um, by God, we'd do it. And I give Anne a lot of credit for that because until that point, we were just kind of floundering around, you know, not, not really sure of our direction and our goals. Well, Anne, was it your, one of your um, brainchilds to, uh, <laughs> to do the, the 5k? I mean, that has been such an incredible event every year. It gets larger and larger. I just remember you being very instrumental in that process and um some yeah, of those things. it definitely was not my idea i came into the picture when eric actually janet is the very first person i ever met in feet and it was via a phone call um she was talking about that agency that became it was called bifac behavioral intervention for autistic children and there was i was talking to the ceo of the time um she was based out in lexington like janet said and eric thankfully got on, uh, started ABA services in the home at 22 months of age, which was extremely, you know, young. And ex we were so forever grateful for getting ABA in our house and starting a program prior to him being two years of age. Um, but this CEO, um, she said, let me give you two names of parents who you can talk to. Cause again, I was new to Louisville, everything. And I had three little kids, you know, the whole world was crazy because of just from their age, but then having Eric diagnosed um, and just not knowing anyone in the city. Um, so anyways, she said, let me give you two, two parents' names. And the first mom I called, she didn't pick up. So I didn't leave a, a, a message. The second person's name was Janet Pope. And so I, I called her and um, four hours later, you know, <laughs> I am, four hours later, no. I feel, oh, oh yeah, it was four hours later. <laughs> I surprising. felt like I, 
I felt like I had just hit the jackpot, right? With and for ever since that day, I've always called her when I used to give speeches, uh, her my guardian angel because she, even to this day she still takes care of me and Eric. So, um, so anyways, she said you need to come to this um, conference tomorrow. We're having so and so come in to talk about the gluten and casein free diet, and like literally, I, I showed up the very next day, you know, at Baptist East where Feet was having this conference, and so. Like she said at the time, so that was my first introduction to Fee. And then I, I uh, started just attending the, the monthly meetings that they would have down at uh, Highland Presbyterian Church. They would have <laughs> once a month. So I was just trying to educate myself, just like we all were in the beginning. Um, and then I remember Joanne, who she mentioned, you know, was they were starting to uh, work on a fundraiser. So and then she invited anyone, uh, then they would also have board meetings at Joanne's house. And so I would just go and listen because I just wanted to get involved and meet people. Again, I was new, I had no friends, nothing, you know. So anyway, you know, my, my older son wasn't even in, you know, he wasn't even kindergarten yet. So like, you're not meeting parents through a school system either yet. Um, so anyways, I started going to these meetings at Joanne's house and they would be these feet board, you know, board of directors meetings. And, you know, you look around the table and they, they like Janet said, they, they were all these moms that had this vision to start an organization. So, I mean, I mean, you commend them for everything that they ever tried to do and did do like that, that conference changed my, my whole, you know, perspective and was such an education on how I could help my son. So feet was doing excellent parent support work and they still do. That's the core why they exist. Um, but then we, I started going to uh, meetings for this fundraiser they were going to have and I remember one day someone said, oh, do you know how to do Excel? You know, Microsoft <laughs> Excel. I'm like, well, yeah, I used to be an engineer. You know what I mean? So I'm like, so I ended up ended being the person who then was in charge of the silent auction, right? I'd never done a fundraiser before in my life. So just because I knew Excel, I know how to put things into it. You know what I mean? So yeah. Um, so I got involved like that way. Someone's like, oh my God, you should have never told so Joanne you knew Excel. Look at what you have to do now, you know? <laughs> so, anyway, I just that's how I got involved, you know, just helping that way. But then I started getting more interested in like, okay, what, where should this group, how, you know, I don't even know why or, or how I got more involved, but I think we, I was at a board meeting one day and, and, um, or one night. And, um, I remember they would take turns on like who would conduct the board meeting. And I'd be like, well, who's the president of the board? And I just started asking questions like, <laughs> ah, we just take turns. <laughs> and I'm like, what? You know, so anyways, then there was just more discussions amongst the parents and they were, you know, some had more time to devote than others, just like in, even in today's world, some people have more time than others. And I had a lot of time to devote. And I don't know if it was just because of that, I just sort of helped more and more. And so then I found myself being like the VP of feet. I was like, what? And then, then I just, <laughs> then I just took over. Cause I was like, well, what the heck, you know? So so yeah, I just got more if involved. I could just, if I could just interject one thing, um, I had sort of backed away from feet because of some personal issues that were going on. And so I, I hadn't gone for several months to the meetings, but there was an event that was happening and um, a, a international, I mean, a nationally known speaker was in town and I went to that and who was up at the, on stage at the microphone, but Anne Gregory. Conducting the whole thing, you know, I'm like, didn't she just join a few months ago, and now she's in charge? You know? That's she's awesome. A new mom. 
(laughs) I think it was just in her, you know, it was just her personality and and we needed a strong leader. Yeah. She filled that role. For sure. But I always looked at the moms who started it and like Eric wasn't diagnosed where, when there wasn't any help around, Eric wasn't diagnosed where there wasn't this parent support group already in existence. Like all of that had to happen for me to be able to step in and say, Hey, I think I can help. In a, in a, you know, just moving it forward. But I mean, I wasn't around when you were like trying, you know, when you're paying to, sh- you know, fly someone in from California to teach people how to do ABA. Like I didn't have those struggles. I didn't have that. You know what I mean? So all of that had to have happened before I stepped in. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. Cause if not, that would have been what I would have had to have done. So this was my way of getting involved, meeting parents, giving back. And, and then, so we, they had that for, like Janet said, they had the first fundraiser. So I was involved in the silent auction part of it. And so they raised the money and then, yeah, we just wanted to, um, I I was real fortunate early on. I got to go when I became the director of feet, I, I got to go to a six month leadership program. Um, It was part of, uh, Leadership Louisville at the time, where it was six months for nonprofit directors um, versus their big class, you know, that they have year year long. So once a month, I would meet with these other um, executive directors from other nonprofits, and they took me under their wings and they taught me about which grants to write for. How do you write a grant? I mean, they really. So I had That's like neat. I had the executive director from like the Healing Place and the Coalition for the Homeless and all these other agencies that just took me under their wing because they were experienced. They've been doing this for years. You know what I mean? And, and I'm forever grateful for them because again, I never, I didn't live here. I didn't grow up here. I didn't work here. I had zero connections in the community, zero. Um, so that helped me ju- and I'm not shy. So, you know, when I wanted to take, when I wanted to like, change really? the dynamic, <laughs> I know. when I wanted to change the dynamics of the board, because it was, you know, almost a hundred percent parents and there was one one person outside of like feet I mean as far as a parent um I I was like wow we've got to get more business people community people medical people so I wrote to Brown Foreman I wrote to U of L you know so we got Dr. Casanova on the board we got Sam Gardner on the board like I just wrote to places saying is there anyone that would want to join you know what I mean so I did that um, I hooked up with a good grant writer to help me. Um, so it was just, I don't know. I just thought, yeah, I just, and then it's like, but you know, I got, so it is definitely the most rewarding thing I've been involved in, even, you know, compared to my working career prior to having kids, but you know, it did take a lot of time. I remember David, Eric's twin said to me one night when I was home, because a lot of this had to take place once Jeff came home, right? He came home. And then I would leave and I would go to Joanne's house or go to a feet meeting or meet with whoever. And, you know, a lot of that stuff took place after dinner because I had these little kids at home. And um, I remember one night I was home and David looked at me and goes, oh, mom, are you, are you babysitting us tonight? Aww. Well, that was a hit in the gut. Oh. <laughs> it was like, wow, you know, you don't realize, wow, maybe I got too involved, you know? So you, you had to like, you know, I had all that kind of guilt going on too. Like, oh my God, am I doing too much with feet? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, well, feet celebrated what 20 years this year yes it sure did and yeah um, we yeah. the gal I, was I, really I, nice I, yeah I really took a major step down from feet in 2009 because I wanted to help out with the autism insurance legislation so I 
I have really not been involved in like a major role since then. So uh, my husband joined the board after I stepped down. So he, mm -hmm. he's been involved ever since, but, uh, but personally I've, um, I've, uh, you know, I've not been involved like I used to be for quite some time now, actually. Well, it's just nice to, to attend, like create a stir event and, and the races. And I mean, I always enjoy seeing you guys there and just to be on, just to enjoy the actual event and not be running it from behind the scenes and going crazy. Trying yeah, to no, it, it, it really has been because, you know, now I'm, I'm more involved in wherever it goes at Bluegrass Center and I'm still on the Carriage House board and I'll, that place will always hold a special place in my heart because of, that's where Eric started off. And so I will probably always help them, you know what I mean? But Feet's in great hands right now with Deborah Morton and, yeah. and you know, she's taken it to even the next level that I had no time for. Um, so, you know, it's, it's nice to a, have in yeah. town for sure. Um, yeah. you, you mentioned um, briefly just a minute ago about, um, you know, David making the comment to you just, you know, about he was surprised that you were home basically. Um, and it's been a hot button for me lately with my daughter who's 14. Um, I've mentioned it on several other episodes. Um, did you guys experience anything with your other children having resentment towards you know, your son or autism in general, and you know, that just your kind of your life was revolving around autism and doing things to support your sons. Um, I just the parent the parenting of a neurotypical child and a and a child with special needs has has been really challenging, I'm sure, for a lot of families with multiple children. So I just wondered if you guys had those experiences with all of your kids, you know, when they were growing up or even now. Anyone I'll let Janet go first. Yeah, yeah, you okay. go first. Well, I have three children. Austin is my middle. I have a, a daughter that's one year older than Austin, and then we adopted a little girl who is now 21. Um, we got her 19 years ago. So my my kids were, I think they were like six and seven at the time we got her. Um, and we were at that moment in the throes of home ABA. Um, people were coming in and out of our house all the time. Um, and so my youngest, Laura, didn't really know any different. <laughs> right. It was all strange when she got here. She was almost two and it was all new and foreign. And I think she just thought that's what, how people lived in this weird country. So she didn't really have any issue with it. But I found out years into ABA that my youngest daughter my oldest daughter I'm sorry Natalie mm -hmm. hated it that there were always strangers there were always people in our home and she felt like we had no privacy they knew what we ate they knew when we fought you know they they knew when we went to the bathroom you know there was really yeah. no privacy and and she did not like that at all um there were some moments when I think they that both of my girls felt like Austin got all of the attention and all of our money and all of our worries. But what ended up happening in my family was my girls had issues. Um, and I don't know if they want me to say this publicly, but Natalie has dyslexia. She's become very open about it as she's matured. At first, it was a big secret. But she had pretty significant dyslexia. And it took me a while to figure it out, probably too long. But once we realized what was going on, we went at her with 
all guns blaring, you know, we were going to help her and we did help her. We immediately put her in an intensive program and, and she got better. Um, but what, what that ended up doing was showing her that no matter what happened, we've got your back, mm-hmm. you know, no matter all what in. happened, we are here and we are all in. It's not just we're all in for Austin. He's the one that needs us most right now. We're in for you. If something happens to you, my youngest had, she was institutionalized in China for almost two years. And um, she had some post-traumatic stress from that experience. It took me a while to figure out it was post-traumatic stress, um, several therapists, several appointments, and kind of got the runaround. When we finally figured out what it was, once again, I mean, full force, full steam ahead. What can we do? How can we help this? how can we help her overcome this? And she did. I mean, you'll always have PTSD that doesn't really go away, but it's, it's manageable. And we helped her manage it. And all the issues that were uncovered as she got better, we helped her manage. I think my point is my kids learned that we weren't just there for Austin. We were there for them, no matter what life threw at them, you know, that we had their back. And so not that I wish that something uh, kind of awful like that would happen to your daughter, <laughs> but some way I, I think kids need to know that that although this is the kid that needs the most attention, we've got all your backs. You know that's our job, and and um, you know, and we tried the thing. You know, they say you know special dates and you know scheduled time to be alone with the with your children with one child at a time, and we did all that. But in my family, that just always felt contrived and weird. And we do it, but it was, it was never a natural thing. It just didn't happen. So they had to learn other ways that we cared about in in other ways that we cared about them. And that it wasn't all just about Austin, although it appeared that way many times. I remember one time Austin had an appointment with a doctor in Florida and he was getting some IV medication, which I won't go into at this point, but He's getting some intensive therapy, some intensive treatment that lasted a week. Well, the doctor's office was close to Florida. I mean, it was close to Disney World in Florida. And Laura said to me, why does Austin get to go to Disney World and we don't? And I said, do you want to spend eight hours in the doctor's office getting medication injected into your vein? Do you want to do that every day, twice a day? for a week so you can go to Disney World for four hours? And she's like, no, that's the kind of mother I am. <laughs> you know. Um, so somehow we, we muddled through and, and now my kids are adults and I think they've turned out okay, despite all that. <laughs> I hope they have. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Natalie had a beautiful wedding. Um, was that a year ago, two years ago? Gosh, I've lost track. Two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago in October, yeah. So, so and my girl with dyslexia, if I can just say, pretty significant dyslexia. She has got two master's degrees. Yes. And um, is is doing very well. So that's good. I think it's it, yeah. I think I think um, time and maturity, and they realize, you know, that that you're there for them. I hope so. <laughs> and has your experience yeah. been the same? You have. You have all boys, right? All all of the sons. 
Yes, I have all boys. Um, I remember when Eric, um, he was three and then so Austin was what 12 and we went out to Janet and I took a trip out to Colorado together for some treatment and some therapy out there, some sensory therapy out there that we had learned about. And so I remember my mom before they, my mom and dad moved here, my mom came to stay for the week. And um, she, I remember after her being here for a week, she was the one who was worried about my other boys and my marriage. Like, oh my God, like your kids, you're not gonna, they're not gonna know you love them. Like, I mean, she was like frantic and she's, she's thinking I needed to go like on, um, you know, God bless her. She, she thought I needed to go like on antidepressants and, and all that. And I'm like, no, that's why I work out like crazy. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like I'm not going on any meds. So anyways, um, anyway, she was the worry ward. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't worry about my kids as much. Um, I mean, I, you do, of course you worry like, but I mean, Matthew spent 10 years playing uh, soccer. I traveled with him on the weekends. My husband always stayed home with Eric. And um, so I spent enough time with him and uh, David, you know, he was probably the one I did worry the most about because of him being Eric's twin. And he, Eric, David was always like sort of Eric's caretaker, you know what I mean? Versus mm -hmm. twin, he was he, he almost acted like a caretaker. And actually it wasn't too long ago where I worried about David worrying too much about Eric. So um, he, when he was, uh, he's a sophomore now in college, but when he was a junior um, in high school, their theology class had to go on a, just a day retreat. And I remember him coming home and you could just tell, you know, like his eyes were, you know, not watery, but you could just tell he had a lump in his throat, like he could like break down any second. And I said, Where, where'd you go today? And um, they had gone to some homeless shelter in the morning, but in the afternoon, you know, this class of only 28 kids split up, you know, half and half. Well, you know, so he had a 50-50 chance of going where he went. And he's like, mom, have you ever heard of active day? And I said, no, but it sounds like an adult facility with disabilities. And he was just beside himself. Like, like I said, he was ready to, he looked like he was ready to like cry any minute. He goes, I spent the afternoon making necklaces out of fruit loops. And if that's what's happening to my brother, Eric, when he gets to be an adult, cause he goes, mom, they look like they were your age. Some of them, he goes, then he's coming with me wherever I go. Aww. And I was just like, Oh my God. I mean, I, he was beside himself and then senior year. So he's, you know, applying to colleges, getting in, he started going through a massive like guilt phase, anger phase, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, so worried, like, oh my God, he's going to go off to college and I'll never hear from him again. You know what I mean? Cause he's so angry inside. And he's like, why do I get to go to college? And Eric doesn't like, he was just feeling so guilty that mm -hmm. like he would say, he literally said to me once, um, there was a 2020 or a Dateline special one year um, on a Friday night, they were showing, it was all about you know, the state of New York and the, the kids with autism aging out of public school, right? Turning 21. And what do they do after that? There's nowhere to go. Right. Um, so I remember that, you know, being advertised, you know, on Facebook and then on TV. And so I knew I wanted to watch it that Friday night. Well, he was up in his room watching it behind closed doors. David was. And so you could just tell the wheels turning in his, in his head, like, oh my God, what's going to happen to my brother? And and he even said to me, I wish I could just have autism for one day. So Eric didn't have to have it. He could see what it's not, what it's like not to have it. Like he was just verbalizing like that. So you could just tell, you could just tell he was 
processing guilt and grief and sadness and worry and all that kind of stuff. So I really thought like, oh my gosh, he's going to bottle all this up inside of him and go away to college and probably never, <laughs> I'll never hear from yeah. him again if he's sad, you know, like I'll never know if he's really sad, you know, about his brother, but God love the, the senior retreat he went on. Um, and it was like a whole year's worth of therapy in the three days he was gone. <laughs> he was like a whole new kid. I am forever thankful for Trinity High School for that because yep. it all poured out. Like they got through to him. It all. I didn't even know this was going to happen to him when he went. Yeah. I thought he wasn't even, you know, I was surprised he even got on the bus to go because he hates to open up. You know what I mean? Yeah. He came back a significantly different kid, different perspective everything. I was so grateful for everything, everyone that was in his small group and the teachers and everything that helped him verbalize all this. He came back, Jeff, even Jeff was like, my husband was like, God, it's like a whole world was lifted off his chest. And I was like, I mean, and he's fine, but not now he's so, now he's on campus. He's, he's a general manager for college mentor for kids. So he has disadvantaged kids come to butler every uh thursday and he runs a whole group of butler and their buddies he's part of the advocates for autism group on campus i mean he's so active in yeah. helping others he will always be that way like that's that's his passion you know what i mean so I think that's so great he's yes. found that for you <laughs> <laughs> yeah right exactly so <laughs> he's gonna be great you know what I mean? like so we're you know where i was worried i was never really worried about matthew he's just a whole different kid but david i i you know I think being Eric's twin and just like the guilt part, you know what I mean? Of yeah. why didn't it happen to me? Why did it happen to him? You know what I mean? Like, so, but no, they're both fine now, but yeah, it's not, it's definitely not easy. And like I said, when he was really little, he would scream, he would cry so hard in the, in the, you know, downstairs, I'd have to try to console him because he thought people were coming in to play with his brother. So, you know, so it was hard in the beginning and then it became hard again in high school because it became more apparent that, he was going to be able to do so many things his brother wasn't going to be doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that's, so, so you know, it came I, and got, you know, the, the, depending on how old he was and where he had matured and where he was in his life, that just sort of triggered more emotion for him. You know what I mean? I think that's what I'm trying to, to say to myself that although she's expressing anger, um, that it's maybe a little bit misdirected, that she's she's not angry at autism in general. I think she's angry on behalf of her brother that he's never mm -hmm. gonna get a driver's license. He's never gonna go to prom. Mm -hmm. He's never gonna go to college visits like we're gonna do soon and all of those things. And she's just mad. She doesn't know who to direct the anger to. So of course I'm the punching bag <laughs> for that. Right. You know, just, I mean, and it's fine. I just want to always be sure that, like you said, you, you, there's enough of you to go around and that, you know, I divide and conquer with my husband, like you guys had to do with your kids events. I feel guilty being at her dance competitions with just her and I, but it's not really a place to drag her brother to for an entire day. Um, so that's kind of hard because I'm sure your husband would have liked to have been at all the soccer games with you and Matthew. Oh no, God, he's so introverted. <laughs> oh, likes to stay home. Yet. No. <laughs> okay, maybe in not. Fact, <laughs> in, in fact, he still goes, Oh, I'll if I want him to go somewhere, because I have so much family support here now. Like my parents moved here, my sister moved here, my brother. I have so much support. God, I now. wish I had that. <laughs> right. And so now he'll go. Yeah, he'll go, oh no, 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 I'll stay home with Eric. I'm like, you cannot be using that excuse anymore. So no. Jeff's so quiet and introverted. He would rather not be this, you know, Matthew is so funny. My, my son, my older son, 
he always says to me, mom, thank God I got your social skills. <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, no, Jeff's very happy pretending he needs to be here for Eric. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> we, we did a lot of that divide and conquer. I mean, my daughter was a gymnast and, you know, those yeah. gym, gymnastics meets are probably like dance competitions all day long in Columbus, you know, right, exactly. <laughs> I just yep. couldn't, I just couldn't take him. So we never, I'd see whole families there, you know, the grandparents and all the kids and, it would just be me always oh, yeah, me at too. Laura's gymnastics. And sometimes not even me. If my husband was out of town, I'd, I'd farm her off on somebody. Are you driving up there? Can you take her? <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, so, so sometimes I couldn't even make it. And that, that just became our norm, you know, and everybody knew if, if one of the parents could make it, one of the parents would. And if we couldn't, we're sorry, you know, and, it just was the way it was in our house. Yep. There's not much you can do about it, especially if you don't have, no. you know, a lot of family around to help. Um, mm -hmm. Well, you know, just to kind of um, wrap up, I, um, as far as, you know, I, I know Eric is 19 and Austin is 27. Obviously, you guys have given a lot of thought to um, future, distant future, uh, and if they'll be able to live independently or in a you know, with a sibling, have you had those conversations with your other children or have you guys kind of planned out, mapped out the best future that you can map out um, with, you know, all things considered, we just don't know what the future holds, but um, for their, for their longevity and, and where they're going to be. Uh, we have not, <laughs> we, haven't <gotten> that, <laughs> we have not gotten that far. So Janet yeah. may have, but no, we have. Like, yeah. We've thought about it a lot, actually. Um, I I went to a workshop several years ago, and it was it kind of opened my eyes, in a way, about what I wanted Austin's future to look like. Um, and the the whole focus of the workshop was on inclusion and in integration into real life, into the community. I mean, in our in our society, if someone has a disability, and certainly there are reasons. For doing this, it doesn't apply to everyone, depending on your level and what works best for you. But for my son, I realized that um, what might be best for him is to be included in the community as much as possible. To have, for him to have a meaningful, purposeful life, um, and one with social valor, I wanted to create a life for him that was inclusive. And that became my goal. I didn't know how I was going to make that happen because, you know, there's really not a lot of people holding their hands out to offer help for something like this. But, but that became my goal um, to have him included as much as possible. And we've done that over the last years. Um, he, he has two jobs. He has job coaches, which he doesn't really need except his verbal skills are pretty limited. So it's difficult for him to interface with of the community you know somebody he works at Walgreens and somebody comes up and asks him where something is well he knows exactly where it is but he cannot use words to describe it so there's always someone kind of lurking in the background ready to jump in in situations like that his other job is at the Y very much included in the community in fact he meets so many people there wherever we go someone is constantly coming up to Austin and just bumping him or saying, hey, bud, you know, and I don't know who these people are. <laughs> he, he meets them at his jobs, which is wonderful. He has a life 
separate from me. Um, we've, we've managed to get him as an audit student into the University of Louisville, which was one of his goals. I'm like, how in the world are we going to make this happen? But, but he goes to college, not as a typical student, but he goes to college. Um, he has multiple volunteer jobs and he goes with attendance but he is very included in our community he he um one of his volunteer jobs is he works at the oldham county uh, art center when they have plays and he hands out the playbills you know and escorts people to their seats well, that's a very visible job you know <laughs> everybody the the woman that goes with him to that has you know she's she's probably in her 50s and was born and raised here knows a lot of people but she says she doesn't know who these people are, but they're coming up and greeting Austin. <laughs> and I love that. That he is a huge part of our community and, and people recognize him and know him and, and see him as just another guy that lived here, you know, mm-hmm. that's helping. Um, he has a great smile too. A lot of, yeah. <laughs> and we've given a, a lot of thought to how we can incorporate him into, into life in his community in terms of, where he will live, you know, unless a miracle happens, which I still have a tiny bit of hope, you know, I, probably not a realist, but I, I think he'll, he'll always need support. He'll never be independent. I don't see right now that he, he would be successful or happy living in a supported employment and supported living environment. So we're good with him living at home. In fact, my youngest daughter said to me, she was 10. She says, mom, I know you're worried about what will happen to Austin when you and dad die. So um, if you give me the house, I'll always take care of Austin. I'm like, deal, shake. So okay. thoughtful. <laughs> the house is yours. Right, it's a so win-win now, situation. Right? Yeah. And so now we remind her of that, that, you know, you'll be living here with Austin. She goes, I was 10. <laughs> Too bad. Yes, we know. Let your We're future husband you know. Good, but, yeah. But actually, my daughter, my daughter, who is married, the first date she had with her husband, and they had known each other in high school but hadn't dated, so they weren't strangers. But when she had, was out on the first date, she said to him, uh, just so you know, I'm going to put this up front, out there up front right away. I'm a package deal. Yep. Where I go, my brother will go. So, you know, if you're not okay with that, uh, you know, <laughs> move along. Yeah, thank you. Yep. And, she, and he says, no, I'm good. Okay. So she married him. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I, my my daughters, which I hate to put that burden on them, if you want to I call know. my boy a burden. I hate to do that, but I, I'm... So I'm sorry if you can hear that beeping. My phone's ringing. I'm so relieved that they are willing to step up. Yeah. And see that that that's the it's best option for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, I, I would love to live to be 130 or whatever, but um, actually, I probably wouldn't love to live that long. But if I, I would, <laughs> I would, if I could take care of him forever, I would. But I'm just even worried about, you know, when I'm. 80 and I, he, you know, he's already taller than me. And, you know, if he still needs all the care that he needs and assistance currently, I don't know how I'm going to do it as a 
frail mm-hmm. 80 year old woman. I know, um, you know, that just worries me, but well, I, I don't want to put him any, in any placement. I would rather have a large orderly, you know, live in our house with us and take care of him here mm-hmm. at home, you know? So, and you know, I, I mean, I'm 64 and I, uh, people my age die and my husband travels and it scares me. I hate to sound morbid, but you know, I'm like, Craig, maybe you need to start calling and checking on me because what, oh. if, what if something happens and I'm here alone with Austin, you know, <laughs> it, as I age, it becomes kind of frightening, you know, right. how, how we will do this alone. Yes, we just have to continue to pave the way, which is something that you both have been so instrumental doing around here. I mean, you may make light of it and not think it is as um, extraordinary as I think it is, but even just starting FEET and continuing on the great work that FEET has done over 20 years and so many other things. Um, it's just, it's so important. It's important work for the, everyone else out here. and. You know, as somebody mentioned earlier, it's there's so little known about post 21, 22 and where all of our children will be as adults and where they will be in the community and if they'll be included and all of those things. So we just need more and more people like the two of you talking out loud and brainstorming and trying to come up with ideas so we can all, you know, maybe live in a shared community that we build <laughs> for all of our mm-hmm. our families to, to live in like a little Norton Commons for autism, maybe, or something and like actually, that. And actually, I think that's a beautiful idea to provide <laughs> support for each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Um, yes. I just well, follow Janet's lead, so I'm good. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. We'll just let Janet do it all. <laughs> Eric's doing volunteer work. See, I'm following Janet's lead for when Austin used to do volunteer work initially. <laughs> I just follow yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully Austin can put in a good word for our kids, like yeah, to exactly. follow in his footsteps. <laughs> so, well, he, I he greatly can put in a good typed word. <laughs> typing. <laughs> yeah. You're nut. I appreciate you both so much. I know it's a lot out of your busy day to to hop on the podcast with me, but I just think all of your experience and and just life experiences with your families is is so nice to share with others and hopefully someone can learn some little pearl from our conversation today. So I appreciate it very much. No problem. That was, Thank you was for fun. having us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll take care and I will be in touch. I'm sure I will see you at meetings very frequently. Sounds Looking good. forward to it. Thank you. Okay. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode in two weeks. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Living the Sky Life within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select that five-star rating, provide feedback or suggestions about topics you'd like to hear about, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.